Thanks for that story. Lots to think about. Roy sends his greetings. He's in New South Wales. Um, he's at a ASA conference. Basically, it's for university students. And since Roy is the chaplain for university students in Victoria, he's gone to that. Um, and then in a couple of weeks, he's gone again. But hopefully, um, at that point, we'll all be together because he's going to be hosting Winter Recharge. Um, there's a QR code for the registration link. And this year, the speaker is Nathan Brown um, from Science Publishing, the writer and editor, and, and we've had him come here before. But he's going to be speaking on the idea of why I believe. Basically, Nathan has a friend who... Um, doesn't believe, and they've had dialogues about why Nathan believes, and through that experience, he's been able to write this book um, about why he continues to have faith. And so it's going to be a very interesting topic to explore. Um, it's at Hakwa, Camp Hakwa, which is, it is a bit far. It's about three hours from here, but it's a beautiful valley. It's, it's gorgeous. It's a, it's a beautiful drive. Um, and it's only 45 minutes from Mount Buller. So if you want to ski, um, you can pack your skis or pr plan to ski. And, and um, on Sunday, I believe they're going to go skiing. Uh, for those who want to. If you want to attend for the whole weekend, if you're a working professional, it's $125. If you're a student, it's $90. And if you're just going to visit for the day on Saturday, um, it's only $30. And you get lunch with that, or you pay $40, you get lunch and dinner. So pretty good deal. Um, and I highly recommend um, that you go. It's basically a, a camp for, for young adults to be able to get away and um, be re refreshed, be in a beautiful spot, um, and be able to get to know each other. It's for all of Victoria, so there will be uh, lots of interesting people to meet. We will be closing church that Sabbath so that we can all attend that, so please don't come here. Meet us there, um, or you can visit uh, another church that, that weekend, but that's, uh, that's in a couple weeks on August 10th. I don't know if you um, had a chance to read the news or celebrate um, the fact that it was the 50-year anniversary of the landing of the moon. Um, it was last Saturday, and so throughout this week, there's been a lot of talk about that. And I've been reading uh, various things about it, but there was one opinion uh, piece on ABC News that really caught my eye. And it was describing how most of the astronauts who went you know, out to space and came back experienced a spiritual experience and came back kind of longing for something more. For example, Jim Irwin, an astronaut who spent three days on the moon in 1971 as part of the Apollo 15 mission, shared how while he was standing on the moon, right, and he could see the earth, this tiny little ball, and he, he describes how he kind of closed one eye, I don't know if you've ever done this, but closed one eye, put his thumb out, and it's like if he can just blot out, right, with that one motion, all the people, all the mountains, all the cities, gone, right? And he said that in that moment, he felt so small. And um, he said he came back with this longing for God and this, and this deeper sense of faith in realizing how insignificant one human life really can be, but how there is so much more to life um, because of God. Charlie Duke, who was the youngest person to walk on the moon, um, came back and, you know, you can imagine the high that you experience when you go out to space. That's, that's, that's so out of this world, right? And so to come back, everything else is kind of a letdown. And so he comes back and he, it really destabilized him. And um, for many years, you know, he was just this grumpy, angry person towards his family. 
But then six years to the day of his um, landing on the moon, um, somebody invited him to church and he resisted, but he finally went. And he said, you know, I walked on the moon, but now I walk with the only perfect person who walked on earth. And that has brought me meaning. Not the trip to the moon, not the trip to outer space that only like 12 people have done, but he says, walking with Jesus is the greatest thing I love to talk about. You can watch his YouTube testimony. Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, of course, who, who first landed on the moon and walked to the moon, and that's the 50th anniversary um, this year. Did you know that Buzz Aldrin, right before um, they landed on the moon, but before he actually went out and walked on the moon, there was this dramatic silence, right? Everyone's kind of holding their breath like, oh, they made it. And uh, he radioed back, this is the LM pilot. I'd like to take this opportunity to ask every person listening in, whoever and wherever they may be, to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and give thanks in his or her own way. Then in the silence, he quietly read from John's gospel, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whosoever abides in me will bring forth much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he took the bread and wine that he had prepared and took communion. Then he stepped out and walked on the moon. The ABC um, piece ended by saying, We all have our moments of awe and wonder. The birth of a child, a sunrise that takes our breath away, a painting of unfathomable beauty, a moment in a musical concert that without warning brings us to tears. And when we do, it seems no amount of technological brilliance will ever fully explain or replace that feeling nor the hunger for transcendence that haunts the human spirit, whether blasting into outer space or tethered to more mundane, earthly existence. Have you ever felt that awe and wonder? There's been a few times in my life where I felt it. I remember when I was at the Grand Canyons, right? During the day, it's like grand, and you're like, wow. But at night... Because there are no, you know, um, man-made lights around, and it's completely dark at night. You look up, and the sky is filled with a billion twinkling stars. I've never seen anything like it. And you are just filled with awe. There is this whole big universe out there, and here we are. I also remember feeling that wonder when I went for my ultrasound, and I heard that heartbeat. And I saw Micah sucking his thumb, even in the womb, right? And I realized there's a human being in there who didn't exist before, right? There's this whole new person. And it was such an uh, overwhelming moment for us because this week is our seven-year anniversary since we've come to Melbourne. So 1st of August, 2012, we landed here, right? And we had only been married about four months. We, we came here to plant a new church in the city. We're excited. It was my first time in Australia ever. And then two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. And I'm devastated because I'm thinking, I, we, you know, I wanted to have more time with my husband before we had kids. My first you know, year in, my, in this new country, we, we just started this new job. Plus, we didn't have Medicare because we came on a work visa. And the... Um, private insurance we had said nothing pregnancy related is covered until you've served your 12 months waiting time so we were feeling overwhelmed it's, it was in a, uh, the hospital said we would have to pay $12,000 up front before we could even have our first appointment um, you know I started I had very severe morning sickness symptoms I had hyperemesis gravidarium which meant I couldn't even drink water 
without throwing up. So I was, I lost three kilos in my first trimester. Okay. And I was already like super skinny. I was like 48 kilos and I lost three kilos. Right. So I was sick physically, financially. We were so stressed. How are we going to pay? It was going to cost us about $15,000 to have this baby. Plus, how are we going to tell our employer and, and the new people we had just met that we're going to have a baby and that, you know, that's going to take away from the commitment we had made to start a church in the city. And I didn't know a single person here. You know, I moved here on, on faith that, that God and Roy would take care of me. And I didn't know a single soul. And even though I met a few people, you know, August, I had met Simon Michael and I had met, uh, I don't think I had even met Galen then. Yeah, it was, I was getting to meet a few people. I didn't have a single friend so far away from family, right? Feeling overwhelmed and devastated. Then I went to the ultrasound. And there's a heartbeat. And that, there's that little life that I, was, I felt so unprepared for. But I realized, what a miracle. What a miracle. And Micah turned out to be such a blessing, in fact, because once, you know, eventually people found out I was pregnant and eventually we had the baby, Micah became this glue that brought this little community together. And, um, you know, I would not have it any other way now. God made a way at, at a time when everything seemed so insurmountable, when everything seemed so overwhelming. And, you know, God provided financially, Money came in to cover all the costs. Physically, by week 20, I could finally eat. <laughs> and emotionally, he, he, he brought people around to support us, right? To, to be there for us. God made a way when there seemed to be no way. And he had a plan that was so much better than what I had imagined for myself. When things don't go our way, the, right, the way that we imagined, the way that we prayed for, do we feel like God has given us leftovers or second best that somehow he has forgotten us or is unfairly punishing us or do we wait to see what god will do one day after a long day of teaching and ministering to people jesus turns to disciples and he says you know what let's get into the boat and let's let's go away for a bit let's be together let's just rest so he climbs into the boat, and some other people get into the boat, and they're kind of following him, right? He just never had a moment of rest. People are following him. They go out into um, the Sea of Galilee, and a fierce storm comes up. And there's high waves. There's winds, right? There's a little sailboat. It's crashing against the waves. The water is coming into the boat. And the disciples are trying to bail out the water, right? They're trying everything. Can you imagine pulling on, on the sails? I don't know anything about boating, but um, they're doing everything they can. And they realized Jesus, who must have been exhausted, is sleeping on the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, it says. And the disciples woke him finally, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Right? They're saying, Jesus, how can you be sleeping when we're so distressed? Where are you? And they're in a panic, right? They're thinking, we're going to die. And, and they're yelling at each other, right? Pull this, you know, and they're, they're building up the water. They're, they're working so hard and feeling so lost and resentful towards God. And they wake Jesus up, hoping that he would wake up and help them. 
Now, what they expect Jesus to do is, you know, he's a carpenter. He has strong arms. So they're expecting him to get up, help them bail out the water. Or maybe they'll, they're expecting Jesus to um, help pull the sails. Or maybe they think Jesus will, will give them words of encouragement and cheer them on. Something, right? When they wake Jesus up, they expect Jesus to help them. But then Jesus does something completely unexpected and completely crazy, okay? When you wake someone up in the middle of a storm, think about what you expect them to do, but look at what Jesus does. He gets up and he rebukes the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm and he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Can you imagine if you're waking up a friend and you're in the middle of a storm and your friend gets up and says, peace, be still. You would say, that is not helpful, right? Totally not helpful. Get up, grab a bucket and bail the water out, right? But Jesus does that and the winds and the waves obey him. And I love how it says they were terrified because they're like, who are you? He does something completely unexpected. He thought, they thought he could help them, but he completely calms the storm. Completely calms the storm. And they realize this is no ordinary man. Nature obeys him. And they're a bit terrified and in awe. Do we have that sense of wonder and awe when we pray to God, wondering what is he going to do, right? What's he going to do? Or have we boxed him in to a tame God, a God who does things according to our expectations and our limitations? Have we forgotten how powerful, how creative God is? This is the God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. He spoke And then the laws of physics and biology and chemistry and and all that thermodynamics work together to create exactly the way he wanted to create a sustainable life here on earth and nowhere else in the universe. Then from the dust of the ground, so he speaks, so you expect him to keep on speaking, but then from the dust of the ground, he then forms the animals and the human beings and breathes into them the breath of life. He always does something different just when you think you've got him figured out. And then he gives these human beings made from dust free choice. And then when they mess it up and they're supposed to die, he unexpectedly gives them a second chance. He gives a 100-year-old man a baby through his 90-year-old wife. He physically wrestles with a man named Jacob just to prove a point. He chooses a group of slaves to be his chosen people. He parts the Red Sea to create a road in the seabed. He dwells with mankind in a portable tent. He gives commandments written on stone with his finger. He makes stone walls fall down, armies flees, and giants tumble down. And just when you think, is there anything else that God could do that would surprise you? He who created the universe becomes a little embryo and is born to a teenage girl grows up, chooses an eclectic group of misfits and outcasts to be his disciples, 
And then after three and a half years of ministry, he dies a criminal's death. Shattering all expectations that anyone had of what the Messiah would do. And when these disciples were so discouraged because they're so disappointed because their prayers for what they thought God would do and could do didn't come true, and they're walking away from Jerusalem, completely discouraged. There's two of them walking to their hometown, Emmaus, and Jesus, who had resurrected, walks along next to them. Hey, what are you guys talking about? And they don't even recognize him because they're not looking for him, because they're not expecting him to be alive. And so he walks with them for hours. And it's not until they invite him into his home and he breaks bread and gives it to them and they see the nail scars on his hands that they realize, Jesus is alive. And then he does something crazy. He turns to these very disciples who didn't even believe in him, who didn't even trust that he had told them he was going to resurrect, but they didn't even believe, they didn't trust, they forgot. He takes these discouraged failed individuals who betrayed him, literally betrayed him. And he says, I'm giving you power to go share about me to the rest of the world. What? Then the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to speak in different languages, to perform miracles, and take this group of people who are so uh, unfit to be his missionaries And they go out and they transform the world. What about us? Now what? What do we expect of God? What are our prayers about? We ask him to bless our meal that we already know is not going to kill us because we bought it or made it and we know it's not poisoned. We ask him to be with our day that we've already scheduled hour by hour. We don't give God space or time to act. Where are the prayers of Joshua who asked God to make the sun stand still? Or the prayers of Elijah that asked for fire to come down from heaven? Or the prayers of Jesus who asked for this constantly bickering group to become one just as he was one with the Father? What do we ask of God? Sometimes we do ask for miracles, but we quickly add, but if it is your will. And we almost make it like an exit clause for God. Like, if it doesn't happen, we still have faith, but we still keep our faith small. Jesus says to his disciples, you don't have enough faith. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible because God makes a way where there is no way because he's powerful and creative and does unexpected things when we ask for something we and we say but let it be done according to your will it shouldn't be said in that kind of like a resignation like oh but if it doesn't happen it's your will but instead it should be let it be done according to your will because something even more amazing is going to happen than what I ask for Right? We should be in eager, excited anticipation of what is going to happen. Not the way you expect, but something better. There's an animated movie called The Incredibles. Not the second one, the first one. Um, hopefully you've seen it because I'm about to spoil, spoil it a little bit. There's a little boy that lives next door to the Incredible Super Family. And this little boy happens to see 
something incredible that Mr. Incredible does. And it makes the little boy think, I, I want to see something more. So I'm going to show a quick montage of these clips with this little boy. Let's see if I can get this to work. Something incredible. He waited by the driveway every day, waiting for something amazing to happen. And he wasn't disappointed, right? Because he knew something's going to happen, something amazing. And he got it. He got his wish. Do we see that God has done something incredible in our past, whether it's in our own lives or in, some, in, in history? And do we wait in anticipation and say, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I can't wait to see how God's going to work. Do we believe that God is better than Mr. Incredible, that he is powerful, that he's amazing, and that he loves us? You see, if someone you love, someone very close to you, gives you a big box for your birthday, you don't think, oh, thanks for the box. You know there's a present inside, so you open it up, right? And when you open it up, oh, there's another box inside. Now you know what's happening, right? You, you, you open up the box. You don't say, thanks for the box and give up and walk away. You know that there's going to be a present eventually, right? So you open up the box. Oh, there's another box, right? And you smile and say, okay, I'll play this game. And you open up that box and you open, you open as many boxes as you need to to get to a clue. They, pu they put a scavenger hunt together for you, right? And you don't turn around and say, Thanks for, your, thanks for the present, right? You, you go on the game. You go on the scavenger hunt until you get to your present because you know they love you and that they're not going to give you a box, that they're going to give you something good and they're building up anticipation. They want you to play this game. But when it comes to our relationship with God, we ask for something. We don't get it right away. We get a box and we say, thanks, God, for the box. It's your will. And we walk away. Meanwhile, God's, you know, waiting in anticipation saying, oh, no, I've, I've prepared this process for you because I want to build memories. I want to, I you know, build playfulness. I want to create anticipation and excitement. And, and there we are walking away with the box. God wants so much more. He wants more intimacy. He wants more faith. He wants more dialogue. He wants more memories with us. He wants us to want so much more than, than to be satisfied with this polite, formal relationship with him where we're very polite, thank you for the box, and we walk away, right? We don't hunger and thirst after his righteousness. We don't hunger and thirst for God. We don't long for him. We don't wait for him. We give up so quickly. Paul, who was one of the first Christian converts and missionaries in the first century AD, despite his close relationship with Jesus, he says, I want to know Christ more. He says, I want it desperately. I want to know more and more. He wrote uh, to a church in Ephesus, which is one of the cities that he had traveled to and in which he established a church community. He wrote, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. 
He says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch that? Right? I tried to put all the colorful things in there for you. Power, infinitely more, right? Grounded and rooted, how wide, how deep, right? The, the experience and relationship with God, Christianity should never be this boring, you know, rut, a formal tradition, you know, and this is what we pray for, this is what we get. No, Christianity is this exciting relationship and adventure with the greatest, most powerful being in the universe, who is creative, who's funny, who's excited and intimate, right? That's what Christianity and the, and the walk of a Christian can be if we are willing to walk the walk and continue to go deeper. So many of us are in the shallow. And I know that song is in your head right now. But we are in that shallow. And it's time to dive deeper. It's time to go deeper. It's time to go and say to God, I want to come boldly into your presence. I want to have the faith that moves mountains. Because God is a God who is always doing something new. This, this is a passage that my prayer partners and I were reading this past um, recently. And it really just struck me. Isaiah 43. It says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I am the Lord who opened the way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm, going to, I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me. The jackals and owls too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. I have made Israel for myself, and they will someday honor me before the whole world. You see, God says, you know, you think me creating the universe, you think that's pretty cool? You ain't seen nothing yet. You wait to, to see how I'm going to recreate the earth. And you're going to all get to see that. That's going to be amazing. He says, you're amazed by, the, by um, the miracles that I did in the past, you know, making a, 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 a dry path in the ocean. He says, forget about that. I'm going to do something greater. I'm going to do something new, and I'm going to do it all so that you can honor me before the whole world. Before the whole world. This is Don Moen, who is a Christian singer and worship leader. Um, he's written a lot of songs. One day he was awoken in the middle of the night by a phone call. And you know when it's in the middle of the night you get a phone call, it's not good news. It was his mother-in-law. 
His wife's sister, her whole family were going on a ski trip to Colorado, and while they were driving in the middle of the night, an 18-wheeler sideswept them, and all four children flew out of the car. One of them died instantly, and the other three were severely injured. So Don gets on a plane, and he's flying over for the funeral, and he's trying to think, God, what words of comfort can I give to this family? Right? What can I say? Please help me. Give me the words. And he's reading his Bible, and he reads Isaiah 43. And he prays, God, make a road in the wilderness for this family. Create rivers in the desert for this family. Give them hope in this moment of devastation. And as he's praying fervently, the, the, the melody and the lyrics to a song comes together because he's a songwriter. And on the plane ride, he writes a song called God Will Make a Way. And what he decides to do is he decides to sing. He was singing for their funeral, but he sang a different song that they wanted. But after the funeral ended, he privately sang this song to the parents. And he recorded it for them on a tape, you know, back, like way back when. But on tape, put it, gave it to them and said, every time you feel overwhelmed, I want you to play the song and know that God will make a way. And for a long time, it was just a private, personal song. But as more and more people heard the song, you know, through friends, etc., they said to him, you need to p record this song because it brings so much hope and meaning. So eventually, after many years, he did. And that song, God Will Make a Way, is now his well most well-known song. Um, I wanted to play it for you today, but there's another song that I actually felt I really wanted to share instead. But I do encourage you to later look it up God will make a way. The reason why I want to play a different song is because this week, um, Hannah, who's uh, leaving tomorrow for Europe, Hannah and I were catching up this week, and we were just talking and dreaming about the city. You know, seven years ago this week, Roy and I, we flew, flew here, and we were walking through the streets of Melbourne. And we were dreaming, what can God do through us and for us and with us in this city. And I remember Roy and I were walking through, you know, Swanson Street. And I was trying to remember that I have to keep on the left side, not the right side, and not get run over by a tram, right? And I was, I was trying to navigate all that. And, and, and we were so excited to be here. And I remember walking through the streets of city and we were praying together, God, we don't know how. We don't know who. But help us to build a church in this city. But not just a church that's going to be located in the church, right? Help us to build a church in the city that is going to transform this city for you. And we dreamt about, wouldn't it be great if one day, during lunchtime, we know there are buildings around where we know there's Bible studies going on. Where we know that there's a prayer group there happening right now. And there's our members over there in that building, in that meeting room, praying right now. And we dreamt about impacting this community in such a way that the city of Melbourne would come to know that the Lord is good. And God has done amazing things, right? He's given us this space. He's given us this community. He's given us these baptisms. He's, he's done amazing things. But I want us to know and keep remembering that greater things are yet to come. 
that God has an amazing plan for us and for our church and for this city. And that if we're willing to work with him, if we're willing to be like that little boy, right, waiting and working in anticipation, that we can be a part of something amazing. Because nothing is impossible for God. When the first, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in the first century, right, it ignited the disciples who, who, who were only, you know, 50 in a room. 120 in a room, right? There, they weren't that many. There were 12, and it grew, and it grew. And in that group, were able to, through the Holy Spirit, transform the whole region and spread Christianity to such an a, a amazing degree that within 200 years, that entire area became a Christian empire. But that was only the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible promises a second outpouring of the, of the Holy Spirit. It's called the latter rain. And God says, this is latter rain. is going to be greater because in the spring, early spring, you had like, you know, the fall first uh, rain that would help the crops grow. But then you would have like the harvest rain that would come and make the crops grow exponentially. In Joel, this is God's promise. Don't be afraid, O land. Be glad now and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more, the autumn rains will come, as well as the rains of spring. Then after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, I did great things in the past, but you wait. You wait until I send the Holy Spirit. And there's going to be a revival of Christianity where we will realize the mission is so exciting and it's possible and it's before us. Do we expect God to give us visions and dreams? Do we expect God to perform greater miracles here in Melbourne than he's ever done in the past? Greater things have yet to come. There's a promise in Hebrews 8 that I want to claim for us today. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And catch this. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Did you catch that? God says that it's possible for everyone to know Jesus. It's possible for everyone in Melbourne to know Jesus. That there will come a day when we don't have to say, hey, you should know the Lord because they will already know him. It's challenging because it is, but all things are possible with God. 
the idea of a man walking on the moon seemed impossible. Even even for me, when I think about it, I'm like, that's crazy that we, you know, went through space and landed on the moon. But it was possible because the dreams of, of people who didn't even know how it was going to happen said, we're going to make this happen. They came together and they worked and they waited and they were able to make that a reality. It took years of preparation, but they got there. So where do we start? We start by praying for God to increase our faith. We ask God to give us faith that asks boldly and confidently for what God can do and will do. To expect the unexpected. We start by thanking God for what he has already done and is doing. Because that builds our faith when we realize, man, remember God is this powerful. Remember God is this wonderful. It reminds us that God is not just the God of I was and the I will be, but the I am. I want to remind you about the gratitude challenge that Roy mentioned last week. Um, it's, it's launching on the 1st of August. And it's going to be um, every day we're going to send you a Bible verse of thanksgiving and praise. And it's going to be a reminder for you to, to thank God for something that God is doing for you that day. Right? Something that God has done for you that day. Something that God is doing in your life every day to thank God. And throughout the month of August, as, as you build that sense of gratitude and thanksgiving, you will begin to realize, man, if God has done all that, what greater thing can God do for me today and tomorrow? I pray that as we thank God, as we ask boldly for greater things, right? the impossible, unimaginable things, that not only will we be transformed by the answers to those prayers, right, and those relationships that we then get, get into with God, but that we can then transform this city, that together we can make this city a place where God's greatest miracles to date will be performed, where we'll be able to say that God is powerful and amazing and that he makes a way where there is no way. And so there's a song uh, by Chris Tomlin called The God of the City. And as the video plays, I pray that you would prayerfully reflect and respond to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you're the king of this city, Father. And these are your people. Help us to have greater faith and to anticipate and to prepare for what you are able to do and will do through us and for us and with us in this city. We pray that we would have greater faith, that we will pray bolder prayers for our own lives, for the lives of those around us, and for this city. We pray that our church can impact this community in a significant way, that you'll give us a dream and a vision of what you want us to do, and that, Father God, together we will be able to see the miracles and, and the greatest miracles yet to come. And Father, may we, as a result of that, be able to honor you before the whole world and be able to prepare the world for your second coming. We pray in your son's name. Amen.